Greetings, everyone, and welcome to my podcast, Hidden Signs. I'm your host. My name is Jeff Murray. I'm a professor of marketing at the University of Arkansas. In this first episode, I want to begin my podcast by introducing the topic, What Do I Mean by Hidden Signs? I hope that after listening to this first episode, you are inspired and motivated to hang with me through the series. I want to begin by reflecting on an important memory. One of the most beautiful places I've lived is Blacksburg, Virginia, when I was a student at Virginia Tech. The buildings on the Virginia Tech campus are all built from beautiful slate-gray dolomite, a mineral found in the Appalachian Mountains. Laid by strong-armed stonemasons in the late 19th century, the neo-Gothic architecture became known as Collegiate Gothic. These enduring buildings of stone project a stature of solid foundation, a home for timeless ideas that may shape the world. However, on this brisk fall morning in 1983, as I walked across campus, my head was down, deep in thought. The only thing I noticed was the sidewalk in front of me. Staring down as I walked, I was troubled by a recent decision. Did I make a mistake? I had just spent the better part of a decade studying culture and society in sociology departments. But today, I was on my way to Pamplin Hall, Virginia Tech's College of Business Administration, to begin a PhD in marketing. I was uneasy on this day because I barely knew what marketing was. Honestly, I was doubting my decision. The long and winding road that brought me to this point will need to be left for another time. On this day, I was worried. Will I fit in? Will I appreciate and find meaning in the topics and subjects of marketing? Most importantly, as a cultural and social theorist, will I be able to contribute to marketing knowledge? Well, my early days in the program were difficult and often frustrating. To me, marketing and consumer research were clearly and undeniably cultural phenomena. Yet, most of my professors asserted an economic, managerial, or psychological orientation. At best, they would tip their hat in recognition of the possible importance of culture in the discussion section of their articles. A phrase like, We should not forget that cultural influence may also be important. It is not that economic, managerial, and psychological orientations are not important. They are. But so is a cultural orientation, and it baffled me as to why more marketing scholars were not developing this perspective. I didn't realize it at the time. But around the world, there were others thinking the same way I was. And one day in the future, we would meet, organize, and make a difference. But this would take time. Over the years, as I continued to teach and research various topics in marketing, I became more convinced than ever that an understanding of culture was important in explaining marketing phenomena. But it was more than this. Or maybe it was a particular aspect of culture that was driving the discovery and management of meaning. Cultural forces give rise to science systems, and these science systems become reservoirs of meaning, 
providing needed context for the development of marketing strategies and identities. When I say sign systems, I mean symbols working together that can be framed in different ways. For example, the 2020 pandemic, as a cultural force, has given rise to a new sign system. Face masks, distance zones, sheltering, invisible invaders, open versus closed, and Zoom have all become powerful symbols working together as a system. This sign system then becomes a resource for meaning management and identity. The pandemic science system is visible due to the disruption caused by the virus. A disruption in the everyday causes people to reflect and rethink the normal, the taken for granted. But most science systems are deeply historical. They seem natural, normal, and because of this, they are hidden. For example, the word cool seems to have enduring influence. This sensibility of a calm, confident, ironic detachment has swayed our behavior in countless ways over time. It is normal, taken for granted. But underneath this word cool is a hidden sign. If we were to uncover and reveal this hidden sign, we would need to go back in time and reflect on its origins. Marcel Denisi, a semiotics professor at the University of Toronto, suggests that the origin of cool begins in the subaltern jazz clubs of the first decades of the 20th century. The Cotton Club in New York City or the Fern Dance Hall in New Orleans. Smoke-filled rooms and slow-turning fans. Playing the soft, hazy kind of jazz for the late-night audience. When the room became too warm with bodies moving in rhythm, The windows and doors were open to allow some cool air in from the outside. And we have cool jazz. Being cool entered the popular vernacular. Since then, the phrase has been adapted, appropriated, and extended over and over again by music genres, artistic movements, individuals, and events. Blues and gospel, rhythm and blues, soul, funk, and hip-hop, surrealism, abstract expressionism, Hollywood film noir, and pop art. Presley, The Beatles, and Lenny Bruce. Woodstock and the Isle of Wight Music Festival. This hidden science system is incredibly enduring, influencing how we act, interact, and what we buy and consume. In 1977, Diane Keaton played the role of Annie Hall in the Woody Allen film, Annie Hall. At the time, critics called her impossibly feminine and cool. The key to her coolness was code mixing. Annie Hall appropriated masculine symbols, such as a polka dot navy necktie and a black men's fedora. Taking a necktie out of one context and placing it in another for an interesting effect only worked because of the hidden sign system of the tie. This is a great example of how hidden signs become entangled. The feminine, cool, and tie become mixed. This is what I mean by code mixing, a creative form of expression. But why is the necktie a masculine symbol to begin with? Where did the tie come from? 
The necktie that spread throughout Europe traces back to military uniform. Specifically, Croatian mercenaries serving in France during the Thirty Years' War, 1618-1648. These mercenaries from the Croatian military frontier, wearing their traditional small, knotted neckerchiefs, aroused the interest of the Parisians. This is probably why the necktie became associated with masculinity. But the thin, long tie used by Annie Hall made its debut in the mid-20th century, made popular by British bands such as the Beatles and the Kinks. In combination with a brand-loyal subculture, the mods, thin ties fit well with form-fitting fashion. These ties were appropriated and made even thinner in the 1970s by new wave and power pop bands such as The Knack, Blondie, and Duran Duran. Interestingly, meanings of sign systems are always forged in difference. In their relation, one sign system gives birth to another sign system, creating a binary opposition. So, I am thinking of the necktie sign system. But what is the anti-tie sign system? Think of the Democratic presidential candidate Andrew Yang. After the first debate, no one could remember what he said. This was because everyone was preoccupied by the fact that he was not wearing a tie. The anti-tie sign system was created in the mid-1990s by the tech-based companies of Silicon Valley. Companies such as Apple, Amazon, eBay, Microsoft, Monsanto, and Google were emphasizing a flatter, network-based organization culture that pushed against the traditional hierarchical organizational chart. By the early 21st century, the tie had become a symbol of corporate and political hierarchy. If one wanted to emphasize cultures of innovation, the creative power of liquid networks. The symbols of hierarchy had to go. The meaning of cool, the meaning of necktie, and the meaning of anti-tie are all great examples of hidden signs and how they get entangled. Think of sign systems as an iceberg. The tip of the iceberg includes sign systems that are interpreted and reflected such as the pandemic sign system discussed earlier. This is top-of-mind awareness because our normal day-to-day flow was disrupted, but most sign systems are below the surface. They are deeply historical, influencing our behavior without our conscious knowledge. They are hidden. Well, we went from cool to the necktie to the anti-tie. Hidden signs overlap. They create layers of meaning, triggering memories, emotions, and actions. Where are these hidden signs? And what ways do they influence us? And how do we uncover and learn about them? Welcome to my podcast, Hidden Signs. I will be your host for the next 10 episodes. In this series, we will learn about culture and science systems, understand them, theorize them, also learn how they are secretly passed on from one generation to the next. We will also learn how to turn the hidden into the visible. And finally, 
we will learn how to create sign systems and bring them to life with the power of storytelling. Understanding this is the key to marketing and branding. And I also think that it is key to understanding today's culture. We will begin our series with a discussion of culture. What is it? Here we will engage in a wide range of thought experiments, from picturing ourselves as Kalahari Bushmen, poisoning the tips of our arrows with beetle larvae, to waterproofing our seal-skinned boats in the Arctic, to recalling the wonderful bedtime story, The Cat in the Hat. From there, we will introduce the topic of the symbolic by talking about brand authenticity. In this episode, we will discuss a variety of brands, Patagonia, Dove, Kurt Cobain, Pearl Jam, Airwalk, Starbucks, and Walmart, and interpret some insightful theorists, Thorstein Veblen, Everett Rogers, Dick Hebdige, and Jean-Paul Sartre. After this episode on authenticity, we will dive headfirst into the symbolic by talking about one of the most important concepts in marketing. Sign value. Here we will learn about semiotics, expressionism in American art, and why distressed jeans cost more and sell out faster than other styles of jeans. We will also reflect on the significance of the sumptuary laws of the Middle Ages and how Roland Barthes might interpret the myth of Rambo. In the following episode, I will discuss how hidden signs are secretly passed on from one generation to the next through socialization. After this, we engage the body, movement, and the symbolic by bringing participatory art to marketing and explaining ecological psychology. Then I tell the story of ethnography, an important method for learning how to uncover hidden signs, making them visible. Finally, I bring all of this together by explaining how storytelling helps us apply our knowledge of culture and science systems. Think of this podcast as a new optic or lens. When you look through this lens, a novel and fresh perspective emerges, helping you to generate new consumer insights. Before I begin with the question, what is culture? I need to set the stage for a cultural explanation of marketing. This can be done by describing the historical landscape of the discipline. One of the key questions that inscribes this landscape is, what causes consumer behavior? What is the best explanation for why consumers act as they do? Is it the head? The way consumers think? Or is it the heart? The way consumers feel? Or is it what encircles the head and the heart? Culture. Academic societies have very different reasoned answers to this question. And although their responses are based on empirical evidence and scientific explanation, at times they can become quite tribal. And sometimes these tribes are at war with each other. In my next episode... I'll tell the story of the paradigm wars in consumer research. This concludes the first episode of Hidden Signs. Welcome. My name is Jeff Murray. Special thanks to Seth Murray for composing original music for this podcast. Thank you for listening. 